you guys. What's up? It's cool that this is our like hundred something regular episode, uh-huh. not even counting the minisodes. And I still forget how to start an episode every time. Yeah. you. I mean, you've heard me. Sometimes I yeah. literally forget what to say. Yeah. And I say the same exact thing every I know. week. Yeah. yeah. And same. You'd think I'd have it down by You'd now. Think but... We'd have it scripted. <laughs> that would be the smart thing to do. That's not really our wheelhouse. It's not. A script isn't really. It's just not something we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. What's up, Madison? Oh, <laughs> I have a lot to talk to you about, actually, in terms of television. Oh, good. Okay. Um, I'm only remembering two of them off the top of my Great. head. Perfect. <laughs> because, again, a script is not something I'm going to do. Simply except, stop asking for except it. Except for after uh, we start the main segment and I read verbatim from my script. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only time we'll the use only a time. script. Okay. Thing number one. Uh-huh. We... This week started and finished the new, like, revamped mole. Oh, how was it? I did. Am, you lo- I loved it. Loved I it. I am going to force you to come over one day, and we're gonna watch it because you would also, I think, love it. I mean, twist my arm. Yeah, it's not like it's. I was worried when I saw the ads that it was gonna be more, um, like you know, drama than the adventure portion of the mole and the like problem solving and it's not it's just like they did a great job sticking to the integrity of the competition okay i love that it's all it's just puzzles it's just puzzles and god bless so in the original mole they would travel all over the world so it's like you do one mission in they you know would start in like paris and then they would go to like Africa somewhere, you know, all of this stuff. Right. They filmed this series in 2021. And so they couldn't do that as easily with still sure. some lingering COVID restrictions, yeah. but everything was, um, all over Australia. Ooh. So there was a lot of different climate Ooh, and I like landscape. That. It was awesome. I loved it. Can we get snacks on that day? <sighs> I think we do a me. snack run and then we just plop on the couch and watch mole. Okay. Okay. You're describing my perfect day. There are tears in my eyes. <laughs> um, other than that, we started a new show as well. Okay. Um, on Peacock, actually. Oh. Um, called Poker Face. Have you seen that one? I haven't even heard of it. Okay. I know the Lady Gaga song, and yeah. that's it. You're going to lose your mind when I tell you about this show. Okay. Tell me. It is um, Natasha Leon. Love. So it's her and a bunch of other people, obviously. Um, but then it is from the mind of, uh, or from the minds of like Knives Out. <sighs> so it's Ryan, Ryan Johnson. I yeah. can never remember. Yeah, 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 I just know Ryan that he spells Johnson. it R-A-I, or R-I-A-N. Yeah. He's, oh, he's not like the other guys. Not like the other Ryan. <laughs> um, and so it's very. I'm in. It's. We've only watched the first episode, and I really didn't know anything about the plot going into it. Uh-huh. I just saw an ad for it, and I was like, yeah. 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 Um, and so we started watching it, and I really liked it. Okay. Well, um, I'll come over and watch that, too. Great. <laughs> See ya then. <laughs> um, it also has, like, Adrian Brody and... Okay. I forget who else. Mm. I think it's Adrian Brody. See the one that kind of looks like a cadaver? I think so. I think okay. that's right. Yeah. No offense, Adrian Brody. You make it work. Yeah. You're making it work you for you, work. obviously. Obviously. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
We've only been, we only have like one show that we started, you know, that's new. Um, and that is Tokyo Vice on HBO, mm. which has been really good. So it's um, like this American young guy who um, moves to Tokyo and he gets a job at um, like one of their prestigious newspaper newspapers Mm. um and he's the first non-japanese person to ever work there and so like he's you know trying to uncover a um a crime situation love that that's all i'll say (laughs) (laughs) just trying to be like somewhat vague without you know but it is uh it's been pretty good so far amazing i love it. it um i feel like there's something else but i don't remember okay well so um we can move on because i have just a shitload loads of museum (laughs) to cover okay well goodbye intro goodbye intro love you love you babe and hello welcome to the main (laughs) part You're here. This is what you've all been waiting for. It's yeah, the, the main script. Segment. Yeah, <laughs> the script it's where we part. start reading. Um, okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. I did a lot of um, thinking about where I kind of how I wanted to theme to theme this. Mm-hmm. You know, February is a big month. It's um, Black History Month. Yeah. It is uh, Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. But here's how Groundhog's Day during Groundhog Day. Um, (sighs) But here's the thing: February has started off with me being just very cranky at all times. Yeah, I've been tired. I've been cranky. I've been stressed. Same. And so I needed something that was going to lift my spirit and make me laugh. Okay, I love that. And so that is the theme that we're tying in. It's just my own personal mental instability. Are you ready? I'm so ready. And start script. Okay. In the 1980s, Mm -hmm. a man named Bob McCoy opened his antiques collection, his antique collection to the public. Okay. We've heard that one before. Yeah, we've heard it. He and a friend had amassed quite a haul of vintage machines over the years, and they thought it'd be a real hoot to let people come in and experience them. Okay. So that's what they did. They rented a space in the local mall cute love that and began to charge a few bucks for shoppers to use their old-fashioned phrenology machines i don't know if i know what phrenology is are we getting into it devices that measured the size of bumps on the head to determine (laughs) personality traits oh i love that (laughs) Uh, their phrenology parlor as they called it Uh coupled with bob's knack for storytelling and his breadth of knowledge was a hit oh One thing led to another, and soon Bob opened the doors to his very own museum. The Museum of Quackery and Medical Fraud. I'm so excited for this. God, I love quackery. I love quackery. There's something. There's there's a je ne sais quoi about quackery. There really is. Here's the thing. I loved... This is maybe my favorite museum I've ever done because I, there were so many times where I was sitting on the couch and Matt was on the other side of the couch playing video games and I had headphones on and I would just all of a sudden start losing my mind laughing Mm -hmm. and I 
am worried I'm not going to be able to get through this, <laughs> but that's a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, we got to take this risk. It's so good. Oh. Um, okay, a few things, a few disclaimers right off the bat. Okay. Um, so first of all, a bummer. This museum is actually no longer open. Oh. It closed its doors when Bob retired in 2002, um, but the collection is still documented on the website. Yeah. And then pieces of it, it was all donated to the Science Museum of Minnesota nearby. And um, so pieces of it make up this permanent exhibit there. Mm. So it's still... Still alive. But the Museum of Quackery and Medical Fraud is not... Sure. Well, you know what, though? Good for Bob. I hope that he's enjoying his retirement. (sighs) Same dude. Jealous. Um, he did pass away, but oh, I think he I think he did. Um Okay. It's fine. <laughs> uh the other one is that um this museum, I think it it had sort of another name that they sometimes called it, and now that's escaping my my mind grapes. Sure. Um those mind grapes are slippery but, sometimes. Yes, they really are. But we'll get to it at some point. It's in here somewhere. Okay. Okay. So something fun that I discovered is that there's a whole Wikipedia article for quackery, which of course there is, oh, but like I never thought to look that up, which is insane considering that I love quacks more than anything. Yeah, more than anything. Um, and here's how it starts. Also, okay. this is a heavy quotation episode because <laughs> part of what I was making me laugh so hard is... Not just the concept of some of this stuff, but also the way it was written about. Sure. Is so funny. Um, okay. This is the first of many Wikipedia quotes that I have. Quackery, often synonymous with health fraud, is the promotion of fraudulent or ignorant medical practices. Yeah. Great. So we all know that. But something else I learned was that quackery actually has nothing to do with ducks. Really? I assumed that it was something like, oh, this is... If, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor walks in and it's a tiny duck. Yeah. And he's just like, here, take this piece yeah, of bread. And, and I'm like, what a <laughs> piece of bread. I, I realized in that moment that I don't know what ducks eat. Yeah. They're not supposed to eat bread, actually. They're not supposed to eat bread. Um, yeah. What do ducks eat? Probably like little fishies. Yeah. Like fish, maybe grass. Yeah. I feel like they, they've got to be herbivores. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, okay, but here's how Wikipedia describes the etymology of the word. Okay. Quote, the term quack is a clipped form of the archaic term quacksalver from the Dutch quacksalver, a quote, hawker of salve. So someone who's selling salve. Oh, okay. In the Middle Ages, the term quack meant shouting. The quacksalvers <laughs> sold their wares at markets by shouting to gain attention. Wow. Um, okay, so maybe not nothing to do with ducks because those guys yell. They're shouting. They're shouting not. I've never not heard a duck shout. Yeah. Um, also, I know in general, we're not big, we're not big on birds in this here podcast. Uh I will personally speak for myself and say, I do not extend that to ducks. I love ducks. I love any kind of water bird. I think a waterfowl except geese. Yeah. I don't like Canada geese. Um, I guess I don't, I can't think of any other ones. <laughs> I can't. I like swans. Yeah. Those are cute. Yeah, but they're mean too. They're, they're mean. Cute, but yeah. As they should be though. The ducks are just like, they're chill. Sometimes I feel they're like easy. animals should be a little more mean. Like we're yeah. kind of, we will we're take advantage. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, the shouting part is pretty relevant, though, because quackery is marked by aggressive promotional tactics and theatrics sure. when it comes to the marketing and selling. Mm. I love theatrics. <sighs> Same. <laughs> Um, it's also important to note that there's kind of a, a distinction here. Not all quackery is fraud. Okay. Uh, sometimes quacks genuinely believe in the cures that they're offering. Um, according to Wikipedia, quote, United States courts have ruled in defamation cases that accusing someone of quackery or calling a practitioner a quack is not equivalent to accusing that person of committing medical fraud. Huh. But also, like, that has to be almost impossible to prove in court right i'm not a lawyer but like yeah i'm no lawyer but but um so it's unsurprising that quackery really came to prominence in the 17th and 18th centuries yeah everyone had some sort of ailment Uh everyone was always hurting yeah and Um, so many people had the weirdest possible ways to fix it yeah yeah yes uh, science at the time only had just the frailest beginnings of a grasp on these ailments. And it seems like um, a lot of these doctors and quacks were just throwing cures at the wall and seeing what stuck. Yeah. Like that was, it was all just a big age of experimentation. Oh. Uh, these became known as patent medicine. Hmm. Um, those cures that they were distributing yeah uh they were widely marketed for ailments uh which was a contrast to the local nature of medicine before that Uh, where you just kind of go to the person in the village sure they were like here's what i have found Uh here's what my great great grandma used to do for this yeah and let me go out into the yard and pick this you know that type of thing it was now being distributed right um lost it um, oh, some of these medications provided some of the earliest examples of branding. Oh, which is interesting. Very of course, interesting. The first places that marketing and branding would come into play. Yeah. Are on life-saving medication. Of course. That's where it has to. Yeah. And those are our American roots. <laughs> and still to this day. And still to this day, that time-honored tradition. Oh. Love to see it. Love it. Um so earliest examples of branding by using distinctive bottles, creating brand recognition and expanding their market. Mm. Now, of course, most of, most of these patent medicines were just alcohol and or opium sure. and or arsenic, yeah. um, something along those lines. Uh-huh. Um, so patients who took them would feel something. It wasn't like they were just you know drinking water. Right. Um, and sometimes they would feel better. Um, but that was just because these would sort of mask the symptoms and relieve yeah. the symptoms for a minute, um, as opposed to actually addressing or curing the root of the problem. Yeah. They'd feel better for like five minutes before and they then... died. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so this brings me to an interesting, uh, point of psychology, okay. which is why people keep falling for quackery. Oh, um, I would love to get into that. Well, I don't have questions. Worry, because I've solved it. Oh. Via this Wikipedia quote. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Wikipedia has a section on this, and here's the, like, a bridge. I've kind of edited this, but still basically a verbatim quote um, as to why people still fall for this and practice it. Um, okay, so the first one is ignorance. Uh-huh. Those who perpetuate quackery may do so to take advantage of ignorance about conventional medical treatments. Sure versus alternative treatments, um, or may themselves be ignorant regarding their own claims. Mm. Um, Also, one thing that's super interesting, actually, and I think especially at the time, um, 
Well, and even today, still, mainstream medicine has produced many remarkable advances. So things that people never thought would be possible. So people may tend to also believe these groundless claims because it doesn't feel like it's outside of the realm of possibility Mm. because a lot of these actual medications are curing things that seem crazy. Right. Um, The heavy hitter here is the placebo effect. Sure. Uh, that's the other one. Or as Charlie Kelly likes to say, the placebo effect. Yeah, exactly. Which I also like to say. <laughs> uh, so no, or medicines or treatments known to have no pharmacological effect on a disease can still affect a person's perception of their illness. And this belief in t- its turn does indeed sometimes have a therapeutic effect, mm. uh, which is, I guess, like a neurological Yeah, that thing. mind. Mm-hmm. Very powerful, powerful beast. Um, there's something called the regression fallacy. Um, so this is lack of understanding that health conditions change with no treatment and attribute and, uh, oh, and attributing changes in ailments to a given therapy. So basically they just fail Mm. to account for normal fluctuations. Mm. Um, I don't know if this is on your list, but what I will say I think can be added if not is the inaccessibility of a lot of this information. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, definitely. Um, so regression fallacy, confirmation bias, the tendency to search for, mm. interpret, and prioritize information in a way that confirms one's beliefs or hypotheses. Yeah. Type of cognitive We're bias. good at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are. Um, distrust of conventional medicine. Sure. I don't even need to expand on that one. Yeah. Uh, which leads us right into conspiracy theories. <laughs> um, anti-quackery activists who sometimes oh. call themselves quackbusters. Oh, oh my God. Love them. <laughs> uh, are often falsely accused of being part of a huge conspiracy. Sure. Uh, which is just so funny. Uh, fear of side effects. So mm. a great variety of pharmaceutical medications can have very distressing side effects. Yeah. Uh, and so people opt for... Uh, not those mainstream medications. Sure. Cost. Ooh, that's uh, a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> there are some people who simply cannot afford conventional treatment and seek out a cheaper alternative. Thanks, um, America. Thanks, America. Uh, and then kind of hand in hand with that is desperation. Yeah. People with a serious or terminal disease or have been told by their practitioner that their condition is quote unquote untreatable Mm. may react by seeking out treatment, disregarding the lack of scientific proof for its effectiveness or even the existence of evidence that the method is ineffective or even dangerous. Mm. Despair may be exacerbated by the lack of, um, I can never say this word, palliative, non-curative end of life care. Mm. Um, pride is basically the sunk cost fallacy, uh, where once people have endorsed or defended a cure or invested time and money in it, they may be reluctant or embarrassed to admit its ineffectiveness. Sure. And therefore recommend a treatment that does not work. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is simply fraud. Some practitioners fully aware of the ineffectiveness of their medicine may intentionally produce fraudulent scientific studies and medical test results, thereby confusing any potential consumers as to the effectiveness of the medical treatment. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's all lining up. Yeah. (laughs) Whoopsie. Uh, Whoopsies. (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's get to the fun part. Please. Some historical examples of quackery. Okay. Oh my God. I've never been. I'm so excited. All right. We're going to start us off with a real bang. Grape therapy. Oh, (laughs) boy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I please tell yeah. me everything. Uh, this one is pretty straightforward. It's just eating a lot of grapes. I do that. I know. Um, I already do that and it doesn't it doesn't fix anything. It's not fixing anything. Um it this does suggest that you include the vine, seeds, leaves, all of those. All of it? All of that. Oh my god. Uh, it's supposed to cure you of a bunch of things. Okay. Also as I guess like a light trigger warning, so much of this and not a ton that I put on here, but a lot in um the Wikipedia page, it was simply just like some really creative eating disorders oh, that people were trying to sure. market. Yeah. Um, so here's arguably the most famous proponent of grape therapy, um, with a quote from Wikipedia, uh, Johanna Brandt, a South African author popularized the grape diet as a treatment for cancer in 1925. Girl, girl. She published about 20 pamphlets on the subject of natural remedies for health problems with her book, The Grape Cure. Stop. Oh. Um, which is said to have been written after Brandt had cured herself of stomach cancer by following the diet. Why would cancer exist if grapes just cured it? Right. And also, it's 1925. Were there... Like, I don't know how cancer is diagnosed now. I also don't know how it's diagnosed back in 1925. Couldn't tell you. Would that... Was that reliable? Was that a reliable diagnosis? Or did she maybe just have, like... <sighs> She you just know, had an upset tummy. A little stomach bug. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And then the grapes settled her stomach because she was hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the book was republished in 1989. Oops. As How to Conquer Cancer Naturally, <sighs> including an endorsement of Brandt's work by Benedict Lust, who is commonly referred to as the father of naturopathy. Oh. I, I also just think like... um. What a terrible thing to do. Like, surely you know better. Mm -hmm. And surely you know you're taking advantage of people who, like, Mm -hmm. may not have access to education or, you know. Well, and one of the things that I didn't really think about um, until it was, like, explicitly laid out, which now, obviously, it's very obvious. Mm. But one of the things that was talked about as being, like, one of the biggest costs of quackery was... Um, obviously people are spending a lot of money on it and you know, all of that, but they're also uh, in a lot of cases foregoing treatments that will actually help because they've been deceived by right. these quack claims. Right. And so that is a real downer. It's a real downer. And it's, I mean, very unethical if you're the person who's like putting this information out there and you know better. Yeah. Um, okay. This one is there. I feel like maybe we've done this for immature history. Okay. But I don't know if we haven't, then I've definitely bookmarked it and it was too short. Sure. Um, but we might've done it. So I'm going to read, um, quite a lot of the Wikipedia article because it's so, (laughs) all right. John Romulus Brinkley. Oh, that sounds familiar. It sounds very familiar. Uh, Later, John Richard Brinkley was an American quack. Uh Uh-huh. He had no properly accredited education as a physician and bought his medical degree from a diploma mill. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. 
Brinkley became known as the goat gland doctor. Yep. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. We've done yeah. that. Okay. We're just going to do a little reprise. Yeah. After he achieved national fame, international notoriety, and great wealth through the xenotransplantation of goat testicles into humans. <sighs> I mean, come on, John. You know. Get it together, please. dude. Please. To get the goat parts out of our bodies. Just, yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> Although initially Brinkley promoted this procedure as a means of curing male impotence, he Uh later claimed that the technique was a virtual panacea for a wide range of male ailments. Oh, it just so happens to... Yeah, call them mailments also. (laughs) Mailments for sure. Brinkley operated clinics and hospitals in several states and was able to continue practicing medicine for almost two decades. That is... I'm going to throw up. Uh That's disgusting. Despite his techniques being thoroughly discredited by the broader medical community. And no one was like, we should do something about yeah, this? Yeah, I really don't know. Um, this was in the 18... Or no, probably in the early 1900s. Because mm. he was 1885 to 1942. Okay. Um, this next part doesn't really have much to do with his quackery, but it's so fucking funny. He was also, almost by accident, an advertising and radio pioneer okay. who began the era of Mexican border blaster radio. What? I don't know what that is, but the idea that he... Oh, my God. John. John Romulus. John Romulus. Oh the name Romulus. I love that he also changed it to Richard. Yeah. <laughs> Weird move. Weird move. Although he was stripped of his license to practice medicine in Kansas and several other states, Brinkley, a demagogue beloved by hundreds of thousands of people in Kansas and elsewhere, uh-huh. nevertheless launched two campaigns for Cam- Kansas governor. One of, of course oh, he did. This is course. Dr. That's Oz. That's the logical next step is yeah. politics. He was the original Dr. Oz. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of which was uh, nearly successful. Brinkley's rise Oof. to fr- fame and fortune was as quick as his eventual fall was precipitous. Savage line. Right yeah. There. At the height of his career, he had amassed millions of dollars, but he died nearly penniless as a result of the large number of malpractice, wrongful death, and fraud suits brought against him. Oh. Aye, aye, aye. I mean, listen, I don't want to get on my soapbox about capitalism, but I just feel like it breeds it these breeds kinds of situations. Shit. Yeah. Get ready for this next one. Okay, great. Um, this one is just called Wizard Oil. Oh, boy. No red flags right off the bat. <laughs> Put that in your medicine cabinet and call it a day. Yeah. Here's the Wikipedia quote. <laughs> this, one, this one had me dying. First produced in 1861 in Chicago by former magician. Oh, no. Former magician. <laughs> Like a retired magician That's was so like, funny. I'm going to go into yeah. medicine. Uh, former magician John Austin Hamlin and his brother Lysander Butler Hamlin. Sure. Uh, it was primarily sold and used as a liniment for rheumatic pain and sore muscles. And I'm so, sorry, you said wizard oil? Wizard oil. Okay. Great. Um so it was primarily like a tiger bomb type of thing, sore muscles. Uh-huh. Um, but was advertised as a treatment for pneumonia. Cancer, right? Diphtheria, earache, wow. toothache, headache, and hydrophobia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, one of these things is not like the other, but all. also like the fact that it's a cure-all for yeah, earaches and cancer. Yeah, Oof. just I mean, it really runs the gamut. Yeah. 
Um, it was made of 50 to 70% alcohol. <laughs> oh, sure. Right, right, right. Uh, containing camphor, ammonia, chloroform, sassafras, Uh-oh. cloves, and turpentine, and was said to be usable both internally and topically. It really does it all. It does it all. Bring the bring Magic. wizard oil back. Yeah, bring it back. Um, traveling performance troops advertised uh, the product in oh. medicine shows across the Midwest, with runs as long as six weeks in a town, doing like a theater performance to advertise for <laughs> wizard oil. <laughs> It's very um, <laughs> like in Arrested Development when Tobias and Lindsay have their family band to sell medicine. Yes. yes. Um, they used horse-drawn wagons and dressed in silk top hats, frock coats, pinstripe trousers, and patent leather shoes with spats. They distributed song books at the shows and in pharmacies. Performers included um, a bunch of people I've never heard of. I just feel like if carnies were trying to sell me medicine, like that's how you know that that's it's a red not, flag. That's it's a red not flag. what you yeah. should be using. Yeah. <laughs> no offense, carnies, but like stay in your lane. But yeah. Did you go to medical school or did you go to carnival school? Yeah. There's a pretty big difference between yeah. the two. And I'm going to guess not a lot of overlap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a guess. Just a guess. Um, we've heard about this one before. Mm-hmm. The e-meter. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Here's the Wikipedia quote. The e-meter, originally the electropsychometer, psychometer, I don't know, is an electronic device for displaying the electrodermal activity, EDA, of a human being. Uh-huh. It is used for auditing in Scientology and divergent groups. Yeah. And here's a little, um, uh, you know, s- side explanation of auditing in this context. Okay. Um... In Dianetics and Scientology, also from Wikipedia, uh, (laughs) auditing is a process whereby the auditor takes an individual through times in their current or past lives with the purpose of ridding the individual of negative influences from the past events or behaviors. Do Scientologists believe in reincarnation? Um, I didn't know that. I mean, if that's It might be Dianetics. Oh, sure. Okay. I don't know. But also, to me, that just sounds a little bit like therapy. Yeah, that sounds like therapy. Which is, you know, unless I'm mistaken, kind of the main, not public enemy number one. They're of very anti that. Yeah, it's a it's a bold stance. <laughs> um, the efficacy and legitimacy of Scientology's use of the e-meter has been subject to extensive litigation. And in accordance with a federal court order, the Church of Scientology publishes disclaimers declaring that the e-meter, quote, by itself does nothing, <sighs> is incapable of improving health, and is used specifically for spiritual purposes. Oh, sure. Okay. I, well, I'm glad that we... That's like, that's a good use of our legal system, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Does this fake machine do anything? <laughs> um, we also know this one. John Harvey Kellogg yeah. was a medical doctor in Battle Creek, Michigan, who ran a sanitarium using holistic methods. Yeah. With a particular focus on nutrition, enemas, and exercise. The big three. The big three. Very anti-masturbation. Oh, wasn't he ever. <laughs> um, Kellogg was an advocate of vegetarianism and invented the cornflake breakfast cereal with his brother, Will Keith Kellogg. Yeah. We'll get more into those guys in a minute. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> John St. John Long, uh-huh. um, this is 
1798 to 1834 were his uh, dates of life. Not very long, might I point out. Sure. Um, because he was an Irish artist, first red flag, uh, who uh-huh. claimed to be able to cure tuberculosis by causing a sore or wound on the back of the patient, uh-uh. out of which the disease would exit. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Like, you're telling me that tuberculosis was an issue because it couldn't find the door? Yeah, it was like a fly stuck at a... You know how they <laughs> yeah, try to get out yeah. of the window? The tuberculosis is just knocking at yeah. the back, like, hello? <laughs> I'm trying not to kill anyone. Hello, I'd really like to leave. It's my uh, bedtime. Yeah. He was tried twice for manslaughter of his patients who died under this treatment, mm. which, of course, they did. Yeah, of course. Somebody already has tuberculosis, and you're like, you know what would be great? I'm going to just carve a hole in their back. Yeah, this will make it better. I'm just going to drain out all the bad stuff. Don't worry. The good stuff will yeah. stay there. I know exactly where to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I have the word John in my name twice. Yeah. So you can trust me. Um, <laughs> this one's a good one. Uh, Theodore Morell, a German physician best known as Adolf Hitler's personal doctor. Ooh. Um, Morell administered approximately 74 substances and 28 different mixtures to Hitler, including heroin, cocaine, Dr. Koster's anti-gas pills. (laughs) (laughs) This is not like the other. (laughs) Okay, so Hitler was farting. Yeah, potassium bromide, pavarine, testosterone, vitamins, and animal enzymes. Despite Hitler's dependence on Morel and his recommendations of him to other Nazi leaders, um, a bunch of those Nazi leaders and others quietly dismissed Morel as a quack. Hmm. Interesting. Um, <laughs> this one, I have no idea what this guy was on. Uh, Wilhelm Reich, Austrian-American psycho- psychoanalyst. Um, he claimed that he had discovered a print. <laughs> Oh no! A primordial cosmic energy called uh, Orgon. Sure. Or G O R G O N E. Yeah, Orgon. Or Orgon. Orgon. Uh, he developed <laughs> primordial cosmic energy. He developed several devices, including the Cloudbuster and the Orgon Accumulator, uh-oh. that he believed could use Orgon to manipulate the weather, battle space aliens, and cure diseases, including cancer. <laughs> It really does it all. Yeah, really. Uh, It's funny how all of these cure cancer, and yet... There's still cancer. Here we are in the 21st century. Really trying to cure cancer. Yeah. After an investigation, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration concluded that they were dealing with a, quote, fraud of the first magnitude. Mm. On February 10th, 1954, the U.S. Attorney for Maine filed a complaint seeking a permanent injunction under Sections 301 and 302, we all know those, of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic (laughs) Act to prevent interstate shipment of orgone accumulators and to ban some of Reich's writing promoting promoting and advertising the devices. Mm. Uh, Reich refused to appear in court, arguing that no court was in a position to evaluate his work. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) Big Trump energy. (laughs) So there's a God complex. Yeah. Uh, Reich was arrested for contempt of court and convicted in two years of jail, two two years in jail, a U.S. $10,000 fine, and his orgone accumulators and work in orgone were ordered to be destroyed. Wow. Um, I think I also read somewhere that he, like, went to prison and then... Um, the prison guard who would like had really admired him uh-huh. before that, like no in a journal or something, was like, "Oh, this guy's going insane," and then he died like two years later of Ugh. just being crazy. Oof. Um. Okay. 
So those are some examples from Wikipedia. Oh, beautiful. And they're beautiful. They're beautiful. But there's a ton of good stuff on the museum's website. Okay. Um, and since I don't have reviews, and since there's not much to talk about in terms of the actual museum, because again, it went... Uh, it closed its stores in 2002, so there wasn't yeah, a ton a while of ago. the internet to even document it back right. then. Um, I figured I'd just read a few of those instead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so the first one is the Battle Creek Vibratory Chair, which <laughs> we talked about. And we did the Kellogg's. Yeah. In the early 20th century, the Battle Creek Sanitarium was one of the most famous health resorts in the world. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg was the chief of staff. His brother, Will Keith Kellogg, was the Sands bookkeeper. Um, from their diet program came Kellogg's cornflakes. From the mechanotherapy department came the vibratory chair. The chair shakes <laughs> rather violently and is painful to sit in, but after a few minutes of treatment, it would supposedly stimulate intestinal peris- peristalsis. A longer treatment would cure headaches and back pain and would also increase the supply of healthy oxygen to the body. Uh-huh. Um... So there's that one. It <laughs> looks like an electric chair. Oh, boy. <laughs> women everywhere are like, get me to this yeah. chair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of women, this is uh, the foot-operated breast enlarger pump. Oh. We're all, we've all been asking for it, you we've know? We've all been clamoring. <laughs> in 1976, 4 million women in the United States each spent $9.95 on this device, which caused bruising and nothing more. Oh. The user created a vacuum by pumping the pedal with the foot. The device consists of a pump, clear plastic tubing, and three cups, all in large sizes. A recent internet search found bus developers remain popular products. Uh, the professional program Bus Building was on the low end, only $10 U.S. for a 28-page booklet. Wow. It appears to be an exercise regimen. At the high end... Seventy nine ninety five plus seven ninety five shipping and handling. Sure. Natural breasts. Oh my god. Ingredients included uh, fenugreek and thyme, making these awfully expensive herbs. Huh. In Kennesaw, Georgia, a distributor claimed, "quote In two weeks, you will have bigger, firmer breasts with volume bust cream." Thirty three ninety five for one point seven ounces. Oh. Oh my <laughs> god! This is just. I mean, it's just like blatant. Yeah. Sexy. You know, bullshit. Oh, yeah. Cleavage 4 cream brings us back to the kitchen. It uses aloe vera, honey, tea, and safflower oil to allegedly produce increases of uh, one half to two cup sizes in eight weeks. Wow. The bra sizes, not the cups that they suck sure. with. Yeah. It might be paired with Cleavage 6 breast enhancement capsules, which contain, quote, gentle botanical ingredients. These two products cost seventy nine ninety for about an ounce. It's so nice of them to, like, create a whole line of options yeah, for women. thank God. Yeah, thank God. Um, so, obviously, this is all bullshit. Yeah. Um, and none of it works. And so there's just, like, a bunch of quotes about why this is fake. Mm. Um, the next one are some prostate cures. Oh. Um, this is gross. Uh, the prostate gland warmer Ew. from 1918. <laughs> Gross. Uh, the prostate gland warmer promised to, quote, stimulate the abdominal brain. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> don't call it the don't, abdominal brain. Don't ever call it that. Uh, the device consists of a 4.25 inch probe and a blue light bulb in a socket on a nine foot cord. When plugged in, the light bulb lit up. 
and that's it. That's just, that's just, you know, uh, that's just for the guys that want to be pegged. It really is. <laughs> uh, speaking of um, wanting to be pegged, the next one is the recto rotor. Oh my God. <laughs> Quote, in a class by itself, the recto rotor was advertised as, quote, the latest and most efficient invention for the quick relief of piles, constipation, and prostate trouble. <laughs> and it looks exactly the way you think it would. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And it's the, re- the what is it called? The recto? The recto rotor. Recto rotor. That's so scary. It's very scary. <laughs> um... This one is a copy of a press release from uh, 1971. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> the Food and Drug Administration warned today that the sale of secondhand relaxicizers is illegal. Oh, boy. Uh, the warning stemmed from reports that owners of the electrical devices are attempting to dispose of them by offering them for sale in classified advertisements. Uh-huh. The devices provide electrical shocks to the body through contact pads. They were declared dangerous to health in a California court ruling last a California court ruling last April against Relaxicizer Incorporated, the distributor. Mm. Uh, in his decision, Judge William P. Gray said the devices could cause. Um, a lot of bad things oh aggravate many pre-existing medical conditions. Um, sure. You could get hernias, ulcers, varicose veins, and epilepsy. Oh no! Um, <laughs> and so, literally, it's just a thing that you like can just relax, and your body will exercise for you by just shocking it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's no good. And you guys, that's never gonna work. It's like those things that people used to stand on that would shake them. Sh- oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, so it's, funny. it's just not. Just go for a walk. Literally. You know? Literally. <laughs> okay. Um, the next one is the shoe fitting x-ray device. Oh, okay. In the late 1940s and early 1950s, the shoe fitting x-ray unit was a common shoe store sales promotion device, and nearly all stores had one. Oh. It was estimated that there were 10,000 of these devices in use. This particular shoe-fitting x-ray unit was produced by the dominant company in the field, the Adrian X-Ray Company of Milwaukee, huh. now defunct. Brooke Stevens, a noted industrial designer who wo- whose works include the Milwaukee Road Olympian and an Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile, designed <laughs> this machine. <laughs> Which is why it probably looks like bologna. That, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird that it was shaped like meat. Um, okay, so the primary component of a shoe-fitting x-ray unit was the fluoroscope, which uh, consisted essentially of an x-ray tube mounted near the floor and wholly or partially enclosed in a shielded box and a fluorescent screen. Hmm. The x-rays penetrated the shoes and feet and then struck the fluorescent light. This resulted in an image of the feet within the shoes. <laughs> the fluorescent image was reflected to three viewing ports at the top of the cabinet, where the customer, the salesperson, and a third person, and then it says... In parentheses and like a really small font in um, italics, your mother? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, because who else is going to be? mother? They could view the image at the same time. That's so funny. Um, the radiation hazards associated with shoe-fitting x-ray units were recognized as early as 1950. The machines were often out of adjustment. Uh, and were constructed so radiation leaked into the surrounding area. Oh, oops. Oops, oops. Yeah. 
Um, and so most of these, uh, by 1970, uh, those machines had been banned in 33 states. Uh-huh. Um, and then all the rest of the states, there was strict regulation um, in place, making them basically inoperable. Sure. Um, but believe it or not, this particular shoe fitting um, x-ray unit that they have in um, their collection was found in 1981 in a department store in Madison, West Virginia. Wow. It was still being used in the store's shoe department. Oh. Oh, West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, when it was pointed out to the store managers that it was against the law to operate that, they donated it to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Oh. <laughs> Which sounds like they surrendered it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. That's a surrender. Um, <laughs> the next one is potentially my favorite one. It's called the Timely Warning. Okay. And here's... um. <laughs> Here's an, I, an excerpt from, I guess, like a magazine or something in 1888. Okay. Uh, an amorous dream is indeed practically an involuntary act of masturbation. It has often been remarked that no exercise is so tiresome to the muscular system as to kick or strike at nothing. All, I don't know what that means. All know, too, how it wrenches one to step down a foot or two while walking. Sure. I don't. Yeah, that that absolutely drives me crazy. While this wrench is to the muscular system, an amative dream is to the nervous system. <laughs> a volley of nervous force is gathered up from all parts of the body and directed with the greatest impetuosity toward a supposed companion in the sexual embrace. And oh. it passes off with violence and is lost while the compensative nervous or electrical volley from the supposed companion is not received. In men, this nervous loss is accompanied by an expenditure of some of the most vital fluids of the system. Uh, no. <laughs> those, those secreted by the testicular glands and no. which are composed of the most vital elements of the blood. <laughs> this nervous waste, the nervous shock, the wrench of the magnetic system as such as will, if frequently repeated, prostate the nervous energies, destroy the memory, and weaken all the faculties of the mind. So don't have wet dreams is what that said. Um, And so then Dr. Foote's solution to the problems caused by amorous dreams was the timely warning. Uh, Patented December 12th, 1905, the timely warning was manufactured by Dr. Foote's Sanitary Bureau. um, And it's basically a cock ring that is supposed to uh, wake you up before you ejaculate. It's an alarm cock. It's... (laughs) I... Simply cannot with that. That was some of your best work. Thank you so so much. I've just been waiting. You just been sitting on that one. Um. Wow. Okay. But what an absolutely unhinged. I mean, thing to invent. Like, tell me you masturbate all the time without telling me you masturbate all the time. Yeah, I've got a lot of qualms with this whole thing. Number one. Semen is not a it's vital not fluid. An <laughs> yeah. Can we chill out? Yeah, it's not the, you know, <laughs> the elixir of life. And also, you know, do something else with your time. Why are you inventing this? Finish your wet dream and get on with your day. Literally. It's just so funny also that, like, I don't know, just the idea of, like, you know, today 
people often will like put in a um like retainer when they go to sleep or something it's like oh gotta put my cock ring on <laughs> like it's just it's such an insane just... unhinged <laughs> ritual yeah it's a weird thing to add to your nighttime routine I just i brushed my teeth i flossed and now i and you know that they were also like teaching their sons to do that too. Oh. Like, all right, go brush your teeth and put your cock ring on and I'll come tuck you in. Oh no. It's so gross. I hate it. I hate it. Why were people in the Victorian era so freaked out by masturbation? It's just the Puritans. It's just I that like it. weird mindset. Um it was two dollars by mail, which was a lot in wow. nineteen oh five when it was patented. <laughs> Oh my god. That is incredible. And they have one of those in the museum? Yeah. Oh, or had, I guess. Yeah. Oh. So gross. So gross. Um okay, so last but not least, we're going to return to Wait, our... and I'm sorry. I still have so Yeah. Many oh more yeah, questions. I don't have a lot of answers, but go ahead. Did it I I have to imagine that like to wake you up, did it just vibrate? I think that was the plan. I don't really get it cuz it's like to me that's just gonna take you right over the edge so (laughs) i think it actually might have supposed to have been like a some sort of shock or something like oh that would would make more sense yeah like a like a shock collar for dogs (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay that makes exactly the same yes exactly the same concept um it honestly it grossed me out, so I didn't look too much into um, how sure. that works, but maybe I will That's now. fair. The Timely Warning. Oh, the ew. name of it. <laughs> ew. ew. <laughs> is it doomsday or is it a wet dream? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Wake up in a panic. Oh, my God. Okay, so this all began with the phrenology machines, so we're going to um, go back to some of those. Yes, please. Um, okay. The museum's most popular device was the psychograph, an antique phrenology machine. Phrenology, created by Austrian physicist uh, Franz Joseph Gall, was the, in theory, of the 19th century for determining personality. Mm. According to phrenology, different parts of the brain were organs controlling various character traits. Uh-huh. If your head is bigger in an area, you have more of that trait. But if it's flat, there's nothing in there. Mm. I got some flat areas. I got some flat areas too. <laughs> uh, the flat was pat. The flat. The psycho. <laughs> uh, the psychograph was patented in 1905 by Henry Lavery of Superior, Wisconsin. His first machine had 1,900 parts and didn't work. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> a lot of parts for a machine that doesn't work. Just like you start out with one, and then you're like, okay, no, no dice. Let's. We try. need more parts. Get more, more parts. parts. Get more parts. <laughs> Um, a quarter century later, still building phrenology, mach- phrenology machines, Mr. Lavery uh, recruited Mr. Frank P. White as an investor and began doing business as the psychograph company in the Builders Exchange, Minneapolis. Uh, the psychographs were a novelty device featured in department stores and theater lobbies during the Great Depression. Uh, the psychograph company operated from 1929 to 1937. Mm. Um, and so... <laughs> Um, their motto at the Museum of Quackery. Oh, yeah, that was the other name. It was Museum of Quackery. Um, I think. I don't remember. Um, their motto was, you ought to have your head examined. 
<laughs> because I, that was in some of the literature. Oh, that's so good. Um, and so over the years, um, at their location, several hundred thousand museum visitors have had their heads examined. Wow. Um, which is hilarious. The headpiece, which looks like a metal basket, measures the head at 32 points per per a five-point scale ranging from deficient to very superior. (laughs) The data is sent to printing mechanism, which block prints individualized readings on a paper tape telling all about one's personality. Mm. Uh, Everyone who received a psychograph reading was also given a vocational chart to help choose the right career path. Sure. Examples of which we have posted here. Okay. Um, and so it's so funny because it's like, I would actually love to have like this print hung up in my house. That it's would so be funny. so good. Yeah. Um, because there's just like, <laughs> they've just mapped out the brain. And so there's things, um, like, I'll put that photo up uh, too on Instagram. Yes. Um, so like right, um, on your forehead, kind of above your eyes, is uh-huh. uh, the trait of eventuality. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. Some of these. Oh, back here, kind of behind your um, ear on the middle of your head is friendship. <gasps> How do you feel about that? Got a huge bump there. Okay, well, right below it is conjugal love. Oh, so- <laughs> <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> Uh, and then down below that is, um, or next to conjugal love is parental love. So don't get those. Confused. Okay. Wow. Those are very close to each other. Yeah. And so, um, it like conjugal love to, it's so funny. Um, so basically the chart would give you, it's so cool actually. Um, it would show like what score you got and then it would map out, what you should be, what career you should have. I hate that I actually want this done to I know. me. I know. I think it'd be so funny. Um, and so some of the um, <laughs> some of the careers that they had um, are, you know, you have your your typical ones: actor, architect, um, musician. Um, then they have. <laughs> um, uh, hold on. Where is the one? Uh, orator, um, sure. aviator, farmer, um, psychologist, detective, Ooh. genius, uh, just, a uh, so genius overall. and then mother. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a vocation. All women were getting the same. Yeah. Score. They were like yeah. Weird. Yeah, weird. It's so weird. It's saying that you're supposed to be a mother. Yeah. Um, okay. So again, no reviews. Museum doesn't exist in its full glory. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to find a ton about it, but I do want to kind of bring us all down a notch as I am wont to do. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to end with the obituary of its founder, uh, which I know sounds <laughs> terrible, but it's very good. I'm sure it's was well written in his honor. Yes. Um, and it's not super long. So here we go. Um, Okay. The title of it is Robert McCoy Never Feared Controversy. Uh, Robert McCoy, who took his questionable medical devices collection onto national television shows and fought for controversial causes in Minnesota, died May 23rd of Alzheimer's disease. Mm. McCoy, who was 83 and had lived in Golden Valley, was a steel salesman, a storyteller, and a skeptic. Mm. He was also an American humanist minister and an atheist. 
In the 1960s, he's, he lobbied for Minnesota prison reform for mentally ill convicts. Wow. He ran an underground abortion referral service until the procedure was legalized in 1973. Oh. After Roe v. Wade, he became director of the state's first legal abortion clinic. Wow. In recent years, McCoy was best known for his Museum of Questionable Medical Devices. That was it. That was it. Museum of Questionable Medical Devices. Mm -hmm. Phew. Got there. (laughs) He ran the free hands-on exhibit of medical quackery devices at St. Anthony, Maine in Minneapolis for about 16 years until he retired in 2002, said his wife, Margaret Horobin McCoy. His collection included a 1905 phrenology machine that is now on display at the Science Museum of Minnesota. McCoy appeared on many TV talk shows, including Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, and made at least four appearances on Late Night with David Letterman. In a November 1996 show, Letterman tried McCoy's phrenology machine. McCoy lowered a metal cage with probes contacting Letterman's head, prompting mock screams for help. Classic Letterman. (laughs) Uh, The cage was attached to a machine whose inventor claimed it detects and prints out subject personality types, like sexamity and suavity. (laughs) Where's sexamity? Yeah. It's probably on the other side of the head. Um, quote, you are a unique fella, McCoy read for Letterman. You have trouble getting along with people and you are too serious at times. <laughs> that episode and other videotape TV appearances can be seen on McCoy's website, museumofquackery.com. Mm. Margaret McCoy said that when her husband took the phrenology device on the Tonight Show in the 1970s, Carson stuck a pineapple in the cage and received a personality printout. <laughs> Bruce McCoy of Los Angeles worked in the Quackery Museum with his father. He taught us his, quote, he taught us his principles of being kind and not judging people based on their class or how they looked, he said. He was a debater and relished the challenge of getting someone to see his point of view. He never gave up talking as long as they wanted to talk. His father believed, quote, that nonsense was a dangerous thing, Bruce McCoy said. We have to deal with the reality of the here and now. It didn't mm-hmm. make sense to put your faith in imaginary things. Bob Lundegaard, a longtime friend, said McCoy was a funny, low-key guy who cared about people, including women who felt compelled to resort to back-alley abortions when the procedure was illegal. Mm. Quote, he tried to help them have safe and medically sound abortions, Lundegaard said. That was very important to him. Um, In addition to his wife and son, Bruce, McCoy survived by another son, Doug, a daughter, Heather, uh, a sister, Carol, and five grandchildren. Wow. Um. So just like the coolest fucking McCoy, guy. McCoy, what a guy. He's the real McCoy. The real McCoy. Um, wow. And so that's Bob McCoy. I would have, and apparently, um, like I read a Roadside America article about it, and apparently like Bob was the museum. It was just like oh. you go in there and he is just he's like, just he knows everything and he's stoked to like tell you all about oh. it and was like a great story I wish teller. I could have experienced that. <sighs> Same dude. I would have oh. loved to see it yeah um and it was cool that he made like if anything was still working it sounds like he like made it interactive and would let you kind of like play with it to just prove like here's how this works and here's why it's fake oh oh my <sighs> god so that's so cool i know um so that's the museum of quackery and medical fraud may it rest in peace i Ugh. did forget to read my sources okay so i'm gonna rattle those off. throw them in there um so the atlas obscura entry for the museum of quackery um, obviously heavily borrowed from the museum of quackery.com sure roadsideamerica.com um, and then wikipedia for quackery and then all those related articles yeah on all of those little <laughs> things um, and that is quackery wow wow 
That was amazing. Uh, it's what a joy so oh to just. <laughs> I love it. In the here and now to be able to make fun of old, um, you know, medical devices. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's something so beautiful about that. Yeah. Um, those idiots that, you know, couldn't see the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Campers, um, I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed this. I know I have. I've had a real, a real good old time. Yep. And I'd like to give you all a timely warning. Um, <laughs> I hate you. I'm going to be so stuck on that forever that I cannot believe that that existed. I know. That's so bad. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, the timely warning that I want to give you is that <laughs> if you could um, please go hang out with us on social media. We are at, um, we're on Instagram. We're on TikTok at the museum camp. Um, I already know it's going to be popping off this week because I have a lot to say (laughs) (laughs) and a lot to ask. Um, like to please buy my essential oils. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. Um, and, you know, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review, we'd love a, a brand new shiny review mm-hmm. um, from any of you loving listeners out there. Um, you know where to do that. Uh, but five stars only, please, because that's what please. we deserve. Our and feelings will get hurt. <laughs> yeah, we are sensitive. Um, and then if you, you know, want to contribute in a financial way to the show, we would obviously love that <laughs> um you can go to patreon.com slash the museum camp and join for five dollars a month um and then you'll be our bffs bffs forever forever <laughs> god damn it campers uh we love you so much please 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 utilize the internet um when it comes to your um, ailments, but do so in a responsible way. Yeah. No confirmation bias, baby. Yeah. Maybe no dot coms. Let's stick yeah. to the dot orgs and dot edu and the dot edus. Um, and we love you so, so, so much. And we'll see you next time. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye.